Welcome back, Action Alerts Plus subscribers and AAP podcast listeners. Chris Versace here, and I got to tell you, folks, I am, I usually get excited for my podcast conversations and sharing them with you, but I'm even more excited today. Why, you might ask? Well, it's a pretty simple answer. We've got the one, the only, as Doug Cast will call her, the divine Ms. M joining us. That's right, Helene Meisler, who, of course, is the editor in charge of Top Stocks at the Street. And, you know, Helene is also a member of the AAP team. She joins us uh, once a quarter on the AAP subscriber monthly calls. And it is such a treat to get her insights, her thoughts, not only on individual stocks, but also the market. Helene, thank you so much for joining me. Well, thanks for having me, Chris. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So we're, we're, we're sitting here. Uh, we've just gotten a rash of data. Uh, everything from retail sales, a couple back-to-back reports on, you know, inflation. Uh, before we kind of dig into to you, Helene, what do you what, what do you make of it all? What what what's your kind of sense of the market today? Well, I would have liked the market to sell off a lot more uh, heading into, you know, this week, next week, because uh, we're getting intermediate term oversold, which generally should lead to a rally. Uh, I've been talking about this now in my columns and my newsletter for a couple of weeks now, and I think that's where we're headed. Um, My only issue is that in terms of sentiment, I would have liked to come in to this with people a lot more bearish and a lot more panicky, and we're not there. So yeah, I feel it, like I feel like the upside. I, I think we can get upside. I mean, obviously, I've been talking about that for a while, but um, I feel like people people are just going to get too bullish too quickly, and the rally is going to peter out, you know, a lot sooner than if we'd gotten people bearish. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just looking at some of the inflation data, you know, the core uh, CPI PPI, kind of confirming the Fed's flight, Fed's fight. Excuse me is so showing some progress but you know we look at the move in energy prices the move in the headline data it has me a little concerned that not not that the market's going to get you know head faked but they might be caught a little bit off guard because I, I suspect that the fed is not going to ignore right the impact of those higher energy prices and what that has done in the data the rebound in the headline data uh, i suspect we're going to get some you know probably more hawkish than not not talk Maybe that sets us up for kind of pulling back after that. We'll see. You know, it's it's interesting that you say that because, oh, if you ask me to have a view on on inflation, I would say talk to the economists, not me. But Mm -hmm. um, back in in the spring, in May and June, I was quite bullish on energy when everybody was bearish and then energy ran. And by the end of July, all I heard was how – we were going to start to see a deceleration in inflation and, and, you know, inflation was going to back off and back off. And the same people who were saying that had all of a sudden become bullish on energy. (laughs) And I said, hang on here, guys, because if you're that bullish on energy and you think energy is going up that much, you can't also be talking about disinflation. They weren't talking about deflation, but disinflation or, or slower inflation rates. And, um, and, and and to me, that's sort of what's come to pass here. Um, but but I have a just a little anecdote. Sure. And um, I I moved in the spring, and um, my my new place 
is, as Amazon tells me every time I go online to order, 485.9 feet from Whole Foods. Because they always want me to do a pickup yeah, right, instead, right. Of, instead of a delivery. <laughs> and so they always give you how far you are. And it's just, it strikes me that they have to have the 0.9. Anyway, um, but I happen to shop at Whole Foods now a lot more frequently because like a, it's literally across the street. Right. And in August, I was in there on a Tuesday. And I noticed that they had a sign that said, uh, whatever gra uh, ground beef, you know, in-store ground mm -hmm, beef, mm -hmm. whatever, on Tuesdays is $2.99 a pound, which is hell of a deal. Yeah. And I, I was like, wow, that's a good deal. How did I not know that? And I'm, <laughs> I'm going to pay attention to that. And I happen to have been in there this past Tuesday, and now it's $3.99. Oh, interesting. And that's in just a month. And I mean, it's only a dollar, but percentage-wise... That's yeah, a oh, lot it's, more it's than big. a dollar. It is big. You know, we actually track that uh, the, that protein complex because we have Chipotle in the portfolio and we have McDonald's as well. And, you know, what, what's interesting is you're 100 you're percent right that beef prices have been moving higher, but chicken prices, avocado prices are falling. So I would just suggest in a friendly way, Helene, maybe you need to switch up your diet. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't even bought The funny thing is I haven't even bought it yet. Oh, uh, well, there you, you know, go. They just have a big sign. Like when you go up to the counter, there's one of those blue Amazon signs that's yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah. It. Um, so I, I just happened to notice it. I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> up a dollar in a month. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. So, so in, in just thinking about, you know, how we kind of interact a little bit, our, our, the way we look at the world, there may be some similarities, but, you know, I'm more of a thematic, fundamental person. You are obviously something different, you know, more technical, more chart oriented. But I wasn't meaning anything else by that. Just charts and technicals. That's all. So so how, just just for, for just for some folks who, who may not be as familiar with you, how how did you come to really, you know, lean into that as, as, as your way of looking at the market, your way of looking at the financial world? Oh, I, um, well, I went to work on Wall Street in 1982, um, and basically Wall Street had been in a bear market for the prior 10 years. And so um, the the market took off that summer, and all of a sudden, most firms found themselves needing to hire because they didn't have anybody. Nobody went to work on Wall Street in the 70s because it was, you know, it was a bear market for so long or a market that went nowhere. And um, so I had gone to a headhunter to um, see about finding another job. And she said to me, oh, you have to go work on Wall Street. And I was like, not me. Right. Not me. I'm not a finance person. I, you know, and and she said to me, no, I'm telling you, I've got a stack of jobs, entry level, they'll love you. So I said, okay, I need some interview experience. I went on a couple of interviews. I went on an interview <laughs> the Wednesday before Thanksgiving at four o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, wow. It was one of those things where I, I, I was like, why bother? This is, right, you know. right. Because I don't know if they still do this, but, you know, there used to be this list of never interview on a Friday afternoon, never interview on a Monday morning. And, you know, all the anyway, I went 
And it turns out that that's when they could see you because the market was open until four o'clock. Right, right. And um, anyway, so I got hired at Cowan and Company. And um, I was the assistant to the partner in charge of institutional sales in New York. And um, I mean, he just kept getting busier and busier. And I just had to keep learning. I mean, it was definitely on the job learning. There was sure, nothing sure. behind it. And um, the busier he got, the more he would offload stuff on me. And that's how I learned. And in and and mostly I learned, you know, I was calling institutional clients, you know, clients at banks back then, maybe a couple of mutual funds. And um, we used to have to call. <laughs> I think back now and I'm like, my God, it was pathetic. Um, you used to have to call the analyst at, let's say, Chase Bank, who was covering IBM. Oh, yeah, yeah, would, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you would say to him, okay, our analyst, okay, lowered his earnings estimates by a dime due to a higher tax rate. We're still recommending the stock. I So I got started in the research department at Solomon Brothers. You know, we I was on again in the research department. So part of the part of an analyst team for machinery capital goods that was fueling those sales calls for Solomon Brothers and, you know, all, all that. So, I, you know, it, if you you do look back now and, and it is kind of funny because like, oh, we changed our estimate by a penny. And you're like, right. this is a big deal. And you're like, right. no, it's not. No, it's not. It was exactly. <laughs> and so I, so, you know, he didn't like making those kinds of calls. Can you blame him? Nobody so likes those. He, nobody, nobody likes that. He would pawn them off on me. I'll, oh, I'll just give them to Helene. They're easy. I'll just give them. And so that's sort of how I learned the fundamental side of the business, if right. you will, because I had to make the calls. A client would ask a question. If I didn't know the answer, I had to go find it out and call them back. And that's what that's what I was doing. It was. So, so it wasn't let, bad because I was learning, but it, it gets boring after a while. Let me let let me ask you a question though, because I in my time on the research side, and it went from ninety three to two thousand five, a little later than that actually, but I found that when things were horrible, that, that was the best time to pick up the phone and talk to clients. <laughs> and it was the one time you didn't want to talk to them. Um, no, no, it was a hard call, but but it yeah. was it was it it fostered the relationship in ways that you know simple other calls like you were just describing did not. I I I will tell you that if we take that scenario that you've just described and you move it forward to now, mm -hmm. and I've made a recommendation and it doesn't work out. I should not sweep that recommendation under the rug. Oh. I need to confront <laughs> it and I need to discuss it and I need to say how I'm handling it. And I find that in this, and, and I find people appreciate that. And I find in this day and age, too many people sweep a bad call or a bad trade under the rug. And, and I don't understand because to me, you know, as as someone who's advising others, um, you you um, when you've made the right call, they don't need you. When you've made a bad call, they need you, and so they tend to appreciate that you've come in to hold their hand and sort of take them through the. So process. so with with that, 
Um, you know, you, you referenced before we started taping today a position we have in the portfolio, ChargePoint. And it's mm -hmm. one that, you know, after they reported missed earnings, guided lower, uh, instituted restructuring, you know, I actually said, look, we got it wrong. Here's what we missed, right? Here's what we're going to do. And what surprised me, you know, at the time, although as I think back on it, it's not that surprising, and I'm sure you'll agree with what I'm about to say. Um, you know, even though we took a more critical eye on ChargePoint, it's amazing to me the number of sell-side research firms that continue to reiterate buys even past this latest, you know, kerfuffle with the stock. But uh, let me tell you something that I thought was interesting, and I meant to pin you on this, Chris, was that when they reported earnings and the stock collapsed down to five bucks, mm -hmm. um, the stock traded four times. Oh, the volume, times, yeah. I think, the now normal volume, I think it was four times. I, I don't have the exact, remember. but but if you looked at volume, you know, it's it's low, it's low, it's low, it's low, and then you see this gigantic spike. Um, and that looked a little capitulatory. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know that the stock is going anywhere special on the upside because, you know, it should rally and it should fill the gap. But as I've discussed before on our monthly call in September, you're getting into that time of the year where people mm -hmm. have tax loss selling. And so, you know, the stock can rally, but I think it sort of will probably keep getting a little bit of pressure into the year end. But, um, but yes, you do have to confront your demons, if you will. Yeah. I mean, oh, 100%. You know? it, it's, you can't, I mean, you have to be balanced in my opinion, you know, as much as we would like to celebrate the victories, they're, they're always nice. But we also know, you know, Wall Street is the or the market is the greatest humbling agent around. So, you know, so the minute you start thinking like, oh, boy, that was a good one. You better watch out because, you know, you're going to get it. So, you know, it, but, yes. but 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 it, it keeps you it keeps you humble. Right. And that's that's what and I like that because, you know, it keeps you uh, who was it? Andy Grove. Right. Only the paranoid survive. And mm -hmm. and and you've got to just continue to focus on the data or in your case, focus on the charts. You know, mm -hmm. so you just keep coming back to what matters, what matters, what matters. And unfortunately, you know, what what is it? Uh, I think are you a baseball fan, Helene? I am. So Hall of Fame. You got to bat 400. That means you got to hit the ball four out of 10 times, right? You know, our our hurdle's a lot higher than that, but we will make mistakes. Yes, I mean, I know, I mean, you know, I, I have I have people I know who say that if your hit rate, for if you're a trader and mm -hmm. your hit rate is over 60%, you're doing great. Right. And And there is that old saying that, let your winners run, just cut your mm -hmm. losses. And I do try and do that. I mean, if you're not going into a trade with with an idea of knowing where you're wrong and where you're willing to, to you know, take some pain and where you're willing to, okay, enough pain, then you probably shouldn't be doing this because you can let that trade get out of hand. No, totally agree. And I know Sarge has his panic points. And we actually, uh, a few weeks ago, we instituted an AAP poll of the week where we asked the membership, you know, various questions and we open it up on Twitter. And this week is, you know, we're con we've been contemplating, we've had people ask us 
about using stop losses. And it's one of the things that I, I think we might actually embrace once we build out a full position. Full position in the portfolio is probably above 3% of the total assets. If, if we're below that or we're building a position, uh, you know, I my, my preference is to use some weakness to improve the cost basis provided the fundamentals and the technicals hold. So, but that's that's kind of something we're, we're, we're thinking about. You know, the only problem, as I talked about with stop losses, is they can cut both ways. You know, they can they can get you out. Like, let, as someone said to me, let the market take you out of a position. But at the same time, it might do that on a temporary blip. Yeah. And then you've got to wait 30 days to get back in. So you avoid the wash rule. So it's, you know, a little challenging sometimes. It's, I, I tell you what, it's easier for me personally to live with a bad trade if we're heading into an oversold condition. Yeah, I get that. It is if we're in a current overbought condition, because I, I when when I'm heading into an oversold condition, I'm thinking, well, I'll get saved a little bit here. For, Maybe. for my mistake, but in an overbought position, there's usually no mercy. So let, let's use that because you, you talked a little bit about the volume on the charge point chart. So I, I want to just shift gears a little bit and ask you, so when you sit down to a new stock, one you haven't looked at in some time, even though I know that you you update by hand all these charts every day, mm-hmm. what what's the first thing that you start to look at, you know, when, when you start fresh? you know, again, with a, with a brand new company, a brand new chart, how do you approach it? Well, honestly, if I haven't been doing this, posting a stock by hand and I start a brand new chart, I would highly recommend you take a short position immediately because <laughs> I, bet, I bet nine times out of 10, I am picking that stock at a high. Um, and uh, and I don't know why. I, I think it's that, um, you know, it, it's that it's been a stock that's been talked about, that's been hot, that's a, and I and I'm not charting it. And so finally I get around to charting it and it's like I it's the high. Um, by the same token, let me just say, if a stock goes off the bottom of my chart. Well, I know this already. Yeah. And under five dollars. So so I mean, it can fall off at, you know, 20, 10, whatever. But if it goes under five stocks under five are very hard to chart. And I put them in the discard pile. Usually that means it's a great buy. And I'll give you the most recent example was uh, MSOS, which was the is the pot ETF, literally fell off. And within a week, it rallied to seven or eight or nine dollars or something like that. So, so several um, months back, I think several months back, you ran into that with Peloton, right? And I think I you. saw on Twitter, you it, maybe it's close to that. I, I'm not sure, but JetBlue, right? JetBlue fell off yesterday. It went right in the discard pile. I didn't even bother to post it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. But now, when I when I'm looking yeah. at a new at a new chart, um, a few things. Let me just say, I do the charts by hand. It's a habit. I tried to give it up nearly 30 years ago when the internet came about, and after a month, I felt like I didn't really know what was going on in the market. So I went back and I started doing all my charts again. Um. It gives me a feel for the market. That doesn't mean it's going to be great for everybody, but for me, it gives me a feel for what's going on in the market, and um, I like it. Um, but I obviously only do, I think I counted, it's like 150 names or 160 names or something like that. So there's uh, clearly a whole group of charts I don't do. Um, when I look at it, 
What I personally, I look for several things. Again, I start with the big picture. Are we getting into an oversold condition or are we in an overbought condition? Okay, if we're headed towards an oversold position, this is a very odd thing I do. I look for a stock that's broken down, a stock that has cracked a very obvious support level. And what I like to do is I like to see if the shorts have any teeth on a break of an obvious support level. Okay. And if they don't, it's a buy. Because it's it's the same way as if if um if you're buying a stock that's breaking out mm-hmm. and it can't keep going, like the right. breakout is so obvious and you buy it and it kind of falters, get out. It tells you everybody's already long it. Well, the same thing is true. I mean, um, when I saw you in mid-June um in New York and we we did that uh, thing at the New York Stock Exchange, I was harping on about Amgen. Mm-hmm. And Amgen had just broken a very obvious support and snapped right back. That tells you the stock is underowned. It tells you the shorts had no teeth and we were getting oversold. So to me, that's that's a great recipe for a stock to own for a trade because, my God, if you got a piece of good news, imagine where sure, it could go. Sure. Um, now, most recently, I, I've been harping away about the utilities. Same thing. They broke an obvious they broke an obvious support level, but we're heading into an oversold condition, and they've snapped back immediately. Um, you know, there's a litany of reasons why you don't want to own the Utes. My God, I can own Treasuries. What do I need to own the Utes for? I mean, you know, blah blah blah. But the reality is, is the utilities are up six percent in September. Plus, by the way, you're getting a yield. Um, and so I just like to look at, at when I, when we're heading into a low in the market or an oversold condition, I like to look for things like that for a trade because I think you tend to get your best bang for your buck there. So now when we spoke, when we talked on the September monthly call, you were talking about um, at the middle of the month you of September, you thought we were going to sell off and then rally afterwards. And I think there was a, I, I'm going to get this wrong. Um, I'll poke fun at myself with the vowel that my last name ends in, but I think it was, uh, sell, was it sell Rosh Hashanah by Yom Kippur? Yes, there is an old adage in the market that you should sell Rosh Hashanah, sell before Rosh Hashanah and buy before Yom Kippur. Um, I'm, and, and there really is some thinking behind this. And the thinking behind it is that, you know, generations ago, the Jews ran Wall Street mm-hmm. and they would take off for the high holidays. And so there wouldn't be, you know, it's it's the same way now where everybody says, well, you know, in the summer, everybody goes out to the Hamptons. Right, right. I, right. You know, I find that all nonsense. But um, But in general, that was the thinking. But the funny thing is about the Jewish holidays is that they move around. Yes. They're not the same week every year. Sometimes they're in October. Sometimes they're in September. And the hit rate, I think, is um, if you if you wanted to employ that strategy, if you will, I think the hit rate is like 55 or 60 percent. So, I mean, it's not terrible. It's not great. Um, but it, to me, it's just interesting the way it often my indicators 
Right. We'll tend to line up with that. It's just a weird, <laughs> a weird thing. Um, and I'm not so I'm not such a stickler that, you know, you have to you have to wait to buy right on Yom Kippur or whatever. Right. You know, right. to me, it's an area. Got it. Got it. So um, anyway, yes, I, I have been talking about a mid-September oversold condition. And and so we, we would hit that point and then you're thinking that we would rally back. If so, what, you know, not not to put too fine a point on it, where do you think the market could go? Well, I'm still of the mind that we are going to be in a giant trading range, certainly as long as um, as long as interest rates are not backing off significantly. Um, and so I think we're we're in a giant trading range, which, you know, call it forty eight hundred at the high and thirty six hundred, maybe a little low. But um if we go back to the 70s, we were in a giant trading range for nearly a decade. Um, if we go back to 1987 until 1995, NASDAQ was in a giant, when I mean a giant trading range, I mean 30, 40%. Um, so I think a few things. I think we can rally. Yes, I've talked about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I would have liked to see the investors intelligence bulls, which got down into the 30s in mid-August, are now at nearly 51%. I wanted that down maybe in the low 40s as we were getting oversold because it would give it room for people to turn bullish. And I just feel that if we rally now, that's going to get to 55 or 60% in a hurry. And that's usually enough. So um I think the runway is there. I don't think the runway is long. Okay. Okay. Now, when I look at that and I see the prospect for uh, the first rate cut mid-2024, is is your thinking that will be, as you like to say, a lot of chop for the next six to nine months? Is that is that kind of the thinking? Well, I I, I mean, for the last... Since um, uh, since the summer of last year, so a little bit more than a year, I've been talking about we should get used to a lot of ups and downs. Right. And even if the downs give you higher lows and you get higher highs, people, I think, in, in the decade prior to now, spent a lot of people have come into the market since 2009. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they have a view that all we do is go up. Right. right. Okay. Which is really not how markets worked for generations before that. And that was a zero interest rate time. There Mm -hmm. really was no alternative. Now I can park my money in a money market for 5%. Oh, you can can get a savings account for over 4%. Right. So so there really is an alternative when I feel like the market's gotten ahead of itself. There really is a place for me to go park my money. And um, and so I think that changes the nature of what we've seen for the last decade and change. That Agreed. you're just going to go, you're going to do a lot more ups and downs. And so, you know, whereas getting overbought and oversold in the last decade, you know, getting oversold was good. You always bought when you got oversold, right, but you didn't right. really sell when you got overbought. Now I think you can, you're going to want to sell when you get overboard. It's a lot more of a trading environment and swings. Does it, you know, 
from I hear that, and it, it I, I hate to say this, but it sounds like stock picking becomes even more critical in that environment. Uh, yes, it's not it's not an all or none. Yeah, it's you know, um, someone someone said to ask me yesterday, um, with the with the utilities rallying, is that a risk off environment? I said, could you just, can you, I've heard that term now for <laughs> 10 years. I said, and I'd have been in the market for 40 and I don't even know what that means. I said, maybe you could tell me. And he says, well, you know, people are, are scared of the market. And so they're buying utilities and they're buying staples and, and they're selling other stuff, you know, industrials. I right. said to him, I said to him, so why are the high price semis up today? Why has nobody sold Meta? What, I mean, I, I don't understand what risk off means. <laughs> Utilities and meta up on the same day. Enlighten me. Uh, you know, so so I don't know. But I think, again, if we go back to that decade, I think it was, you know, well, hell, you could buy anything. Right. And right. no, I don't think you can buy anything now. I think it, I agree. it becomes a more discerning market or or more like a, a, a market that enjoys a lot of group rotation. Ooh, interesting. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Any so any... so for example, my my utilities. Let me go back to my utilities. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, take a go back and take a look. They had a good summer until August, and they slid. I can't even remember the the percentages, but I mean they have slid, done nothing but slide from August first almost until you know two weeks ago. Um, but if you take a look at something like I don't know, uh, an industrial, Caterpillar tractor. Cat didn't slide. It just hung out. Yeah. And so if you owned Cat, you'd be like, okay, so, you know, it just didn't do anything. But if you owned utilities, my God, you'd think the world was coming to an end. Agreed, agreed. But, you know, what's interesting about that is that that almost assumes that people are buying one thing, right? Because, you know, like we talked about earlier that, um, you know, you have a diversified portfolio or you at least you, you, you strive towards that. You're, you're going to have a lot of things in that portfolio, some of which will be working, some of which maybe not, at least in the near term. And, and you've really got to, you know, double down, refocus, do the homework and understand at that point, do I continue? Do I not? What do I do? Right. So it's I, I like it because it's constantly evolving. You know, I've often said in the past that, you know, this is a lot like detective work, you know, except no one's going to jail, maybe. Well, <laughs> so some people so, are. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Nobody I know, fortunately. But <laughs> but, but to neither. your point, though. Yeah. But 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 to your point, though, you know, sometimes when, when a stock just kind of, you know, hangs out, all it means is that it's waiting for the next data point. Right that you need to either verify the thesis or to make you reconsider the thesis. And, you know, I, I try to hang pretty heavy on data and not just one particular data point, but, you know, you really have to triangulate around what you're doing. And I like that because the more data points I have, the more confirmation I have, the more conviction, the more passion I can have about a position. So that's, that's at least kind of the way I see it. Of course, sometimes, it's all everything that you know is already known. That's you know, th certain. I mean, just sometimes. I mean, right now, I think the semiconductors are oversold and they should rally. But if you think about it, 
the semiconductors, at least as of two days ago, were down 4% in the third quarter. Yeah. Had you asked somebody in June what the semis would be doing at the end of the third quarter, I can guarantee you 90% of the people would not have said down 4%. Oh, I agree. I, I agree with that 100% because at that point we were still in the AI go, go, go mode. Right. That's right. That's right. right. So from a trading perspective, that wasn't the time to be owning semis. Now, yes, from a long-term perspective, it's fine. But yes, from a trading perspective, had you owned semis all summer long, you'd be sitting there like, are you kidding me? But I, but I think that's an important distinction, right? Investing versus trading. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, to me, we invest in, in AAP not for, you know, a week or a month or three months. We take we take a much longer time horizon than that, you know, preferably, you know, like a rolling 12 months kind of sort of thing. Maybe sometimes a little longer, depending on what we're talking about. You know, like we, we've got a couple of positions in the portfolio that are really benefiting from the Biden infrastructure law, the CHIPS Act, those sorts of things. Those are multi-year tailwinds that we can see. So I I can be patient, take my time, build those positions up using pullbacks, that sort of thing. Um, But trading, when you say trading, are are we talking, you know, days, weeks? No, weeks. I'm I'm more of a swing trader than anything else. Okay. I mean, if, 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 if I'm, if I am, if I buy a stock or I recommend a stock um, and then the very next day it's up 10 or 15% sell. Okay. Okay. So because so, it's sure it's certain to head right back down. Okay. So so for folks that haven't that aren't as familiar with that term that you just used, swing trader, what is that? I I'm looking for um a multi-week swing in the market, something that lasts several weeks. Um so so generally, you know, when I start taking a look at an upcoming intermediate term oversold. I'm looking that the it's going to be several weeks before we get back to overbought. And okay. so and so as as we move through that oversold into an overbought condition, I I'm going to start to see stocks developing that look viable for that swing trade. And okay. then as we start getting closer to an overbought condition, I am of the mind that you've got to start selling what's not acting right or what's gotten way ahead of itself or or and and because there'll be a better buying opportunity later on or a good shorting opportunity. You've got your choice. And you're measuring all of this by the charts that you update every day by hand. I am measuring my overbought and oversold uh, using indicators uh, that I have used for decades. <laughs> And and are these uh, on the last podcast last week? Todd Campbell, who runs uh, Street Smarts, he mm. cited that he loves your oscillators. Is this by chance what you're referring to? Yes, I have a short term and an intermediate term oscillator. Um, and and uh, so, like for example, the short term oscillator got super oversold. Was that back in um, kind of the third week in August? you know, when we had that little panic low mm-hmm. um, and and it got so oversold and, you know, we had that big rally, but my intermediate term was not oversold. 
that's but the intermediate term is is what's getting oversold here mid month, which is why I said we should rally and come back down uh, in early September because you know once the short term over oversold works condition works itself off and then you start backing off again um, and you're sort of waiting for the intermediate term to get there too. Okay. And so now the intermediate term here, we are September 14th, we're, we're in the middle of the month and that's where we're at. And you walk through these oscillators on a frequent basis over at top stocks, correct? So if someone wants every to get day. your thinking, so if someone wants your thinking on this, it sounds like every day you're updating it, that they can find that right there. Yes, I put I put the short term oscillator is actually in my really real money column every day. Um, and then uh, I, you know, if if there's something to say about the intermediate term ones, I put them in there. Uh, but in in top stocks, I have five indicators and they each have a day of the week that they show up. And I update and if they say something not on that particular day of the week, I'll write about them. But generally speaking, you will get an update on each of those five indicators, which are all intermediate term, uh, every day of the, you know, on its respective day of the week. Okay. Okay. Any, um, any stocks catching your eye real quick? <laughs> you know, I will say, um, I've, I've sort of taken, I don't know, how can I say this? I've taken a liking to some of these defensive type names lately. Um, I keep looking at stocks like Colgate and thinking that maybe it's bottoming, mm -hmm. um, which is is not really where you want to be if you think the market is terrific. But um, I also think the banks are entitled to rally. Um, you know, we discussed uh, in September, what is whatever a week or ten days ago, we discussed mm -hmm. the Bank of America looking okay and the Morgan Stanley. Yes, um, and both and both have moved up. Okay, and um, I, I think American Express actually looks okay here too. I've been thinking that for about two weeks. Okay. Um, and um, and and then here's a weird one, especially being that I have an ability to be so dead wrong right now within the next 48 hours, like you have no idea, but I have been recommending in my top stocks letter Ford for about two weeks, Interesting. And, oh, maybe a week or uh, maybe a week and change. And the reason being is that it is non, it was, I mean, when Ford was down it, I, I think the price was about 1175 or 12. Mm -hmm. Um, it was nonstop UAW strike, UAW strike. Yeah, yeah. I mean, special reports, everybody's talking about it. I'm like, the stock is sitting at support. Maybe it came down from 14 to 11 and change because everybody knew the strike was coming. Well, and maybe. so I've been, you know, and, and now it's had a nice rally. I think it tagged 13 yesterday. Um, and so I, I just keep thinking I'd like, obviously, it's rallied, you know, quite a lot in the last couple of days, but I'd like to see a dip here. And if it can hold, I think it's going to be okay. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll take I feel it. like the bad news is in it. I'll take the other side of that. So the, um, we sold 
forward in the AAP portfolio between 1350 and 14. So it was, you know, great sale. Fortunate timing, right? Keep it humble. Fortunate timing. We were concerned about the UAW strike. And now when we take a look at UPS, um, you know, simply getting hammered as the CFO makes the rounds, you know, investor conferences talking about the impact of the Teamsters strike, my concern is. If we do get some type of settlement, it's going to be very UAW friendly and margins in Ford are really going to take a hit. But that's also going to be true for General Motors and Stellantis, too. So, Right. And I don't I don't disagree. I look at that UPS chart and I say, oh, yes, the difference is I think UPS was a lot higher. Yeah. Yeah. When the news came out and it was not talked about nonstop. Before, like in other words, before it came, before the deal came, people were more concerned about what it was going to mean for the economy. Right. And nobody was going to get their packages if they went on strike. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I hear you on that. I, you know, we maybe I'm a little extra sensitive to it because we owned UPS, right? And we sold out before the Teamsters negotiation around 180. So, you know, again. Fortunate timing, right? So, but you know, we will see what happens with the uh, the big three. Chris, let let me let me just point. Let me let me give you this. I've just looked at the UPS chart. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. The stock is down from 190 to 155 earlier this week. Yep. And it has now left a little potentially mm-hmm. a little island bottom. And not only that, remember what we talked about earlier on in the pod where it breaks an obvious level, it comes down and then snaps back. Mm-hmm. If UPS can get itself back up over, I don't know, let's call it 165-ish. Okay. It's going to have done that little snapback thing. All right. And well. it's got that little island. So now maybe it's time to take a look at UPS. Well, I will say this, that um, the August retail sales report showed non-store retail sales were flat in August with July. But here's the thing. In July, what did we have? You'll know this because you shop on Amazon. We had Amazon Prime Day. Prime. We We had Best Buy competing offers, Target, right? We had Walmart. So more stuff is shipping. So the fact that we didn't see August non-store retail sales fall tells us that consumers are re-embracing digital shopping, trying to stretch their dollars, my opinion. We also know this because non-store retail sales were up 7% year over year in the month of August, right? And don't you have back to school? Isn't, isn't August There's, a big back to school month? There, there is, but you know, the thinking is that we might've seen some pull forward into July because of those sales. But, but to your point about UPS, let's remember, Amazon is going to have another compete another uh, event in October. In October, I'm mm-hmm. sure Walmart, Target, Best Buy, and everybody else is going to do it, and mm-hmm. you know that'll be positive for you know potentially for UPS. We'll see because Amazon continues to ramp its own fleet. But you know, again, something to pay attention to as we keep an eye on the stock. I'll I'll, I'll tell you something else I've noticed, and I'm sure that somebody who's got all the data and can do some fancy charting work or whatever, uh, data detection, I guess, will tell you that I'm dead wrong. But retailers tend to rally into Black Friday, and then they tend to peak right before Christmas. Yeah, I, you know, we'll see about that. We'll see about that. Because the only reason I say that 
is um, when Target and others gave their guidance, they actually, a lot of them talked about negative comp sales for um, the current quarter and the holiday shopping season. So I'm I'm a little concerned about that. I do like my Costco, right? Because I think they're going to perform very well. But, you know, we'll have to see what happens, right? You know, and just from a fundamental perspective, you know, credit card debt moved higher again in July. You know, interest rates remain higher. Servicing costs remain high. Auto loan defaults are climbing. Credit card defaults are climbing. And we haven't even seen the impact of student debt repayments yet. So I, I hear you. All of that. I know it. Yeah. I'm just a, I'm a swing trader. I'm thinking UPS could have a decent swing. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That and, and you know what? There's there's nothing, you know, that would be great. Right. And, and, but, and let, let, let me just finish off that. And and if you think about if you think about that and you get a rally in something like UPS back up into resistance and we start to get overbought. Ah, then yeah. we could just sell it. Yeah. So but you're that's kind of, not the game you're playing. I mean, no, I, I no, it's not. It, it, it's yeah. you know, it's 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 not. And um, it reminds me of a conversation I had with Sarge, I guess, almost two years ago where when we first um, took over uh, AAP, we got rid of um, AEO, which I think is American Eagle. And we were really concerned about its position, the consumer at the time, all this stuff. And you know, we said that we were right because we sold it at X and it fell to whatever. Sarge was like, I was right because I managed to trade it and make some money in between. So it, it was so, so it just, no, no. And it, it just goes to show that, you know, people have different um, strategies, different time horizons. And it doesn't mean it's good or bad. It's just different. Nope. Different strokes for different folks. Not everybody's style is your style. And not everybody's style is my style. And so to me, that's, you know, that's what makes markets. Uh, 100%. Now, let me wrap up by saying, Helene, always, always wonderful to chat. I, I really do appreciate it. Um, and I hope we can do it again. But before we leave at least this episode of the podcast, anything we didn't talk about that we should? Oh, God, there's probably a list of things we didn't talk about. That oh, I'm sure should. there are. I'm sure there are. But what 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 jumps out to you? I, I tell you what, one thing I would love people to understand is that nobody's going to get it right 100% of the time. And if you spend too much time watching the folks on TV who struggle to make you think that they got it right 100% of the time, you're going to believe that, you know, people get it right 100% of the time. They don't. But we should always manage our losses. Yes. And try and cut them and not let them run away um, so that they consume you, that you can't look for making money elsewhere. You know, we we chatted a little bit about this before we started taping, and and I agree. It's you know the the emotion, the amount of energy, emotional energy that gets wrapped up in that can be staggering for some folks. And and it's you know our job is to take. And you, I said this to you earlier. It bears repeating. We have to take the emotion out, so we don't get sidetracked or or pulled in a direction that distracts us. Not easy all the time. No, it's it's quite difficult, especially when you're talking about money, because it's a very emotional. People are very emotionally attached to their money. We all are. Of course, of course, we work hard for our money, and we don't want to lose it. That's exactly right. So yeah, so I, I you know, I would just, you know, 
And and I would also tell people, if you have a question, ask. Because if you're asking, someone else has that same question. Totally agree. It's It goes back to when I was in grade school. No such thing as a stupid question. 100%. You know, and, uh, you know, for folks who subscribe to AAP, I'll just remind you, be sure to send in your emails if you want to ask questions. You can use the forum as well. And folks, that was the Divine Ms. M. Helene Meisler, editor of Top Stocks. And uh, if you are an AAP member, and I would strongly encourage you to be one, Helene will be joining us either in our November or December monthly call, which again is exclusive to AAP members. Helene, thank you so much. I hope, hope we can do this again soon. Thanks, Chris. It was great.